funny how? It'd be funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. gentlemen welcome back to another episode of the silver screen video and this week for the first time in a bit it seems like we have a guest episode this is jonathan here with my co-host jacob jacob before we get to the uh professional side of things how are things going for you things are good uh i'm excited uh i have to say i was a little starstruck by this episode you know lauren is uh she she's the she and drew are the uh the hot new podcasting ticket in town. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I was a little starstruck this episode, but uh, it was a good one. Yeah, I mean, guys, and since Jacob brought it up, I will go ahead and say it. There are some, like, chunks where I had to edit out due to either Jacob, like, going insane or weeping. Um, <laughs> there's a few things I had to cut out. So I threw up at one point. <laughs> um, it was an interesting episode, to say the least. Uh, but, no, it was... Um, <laughs> It was a really good episode. We talk about uh, Stellan Skarsgård, who she, uh, or our guest Lauren, seemed to be taken by, as we all are, really, if you watch his movies. Um, it was really fun. It was my first time watching the uh, the Swedish version of Insomnia. So, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. So this podcast that that you keep talking about, you you are much more plugged in to to things than I am. Um, this is a big podcast. This is a big literary podcast. Is that what I'm getting from everything? Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you did your research for our guest episodes. Uh, first of well, all, well, I did, <laughs> but I was trying to set you up to tell the audience, but now you've ruined it. Um, no, no. For our, uh, for our, uh, shall we say, uh, you know, we, we know the kind of people who listen to this podcast, folks. We're movie people. We're not book people. You know, I like to pretend to be a book person sometimes. I'm not. I like movies better. I'm just going to say it. Um, so, I enjoy yeah, a is... book every once in a while. Huh? I enjoy reading a book every once in a while. Sometimes <laughs> while watching a movie. <laughs> all my uh, all my literary consumption is audiobook these days. Um, I wish that. Yeah, was I per- can't do audiobooks because I forget. I, I have to read it, or I can't, I won't retain it. Really? Is that true? Yeah, unless I'm like, if I'm on like a long road trip or something, I can listen to audiobooks. But if I'm like. Like some people listen to them while they work out or while they run. I don't do that shit. It's only music or podcasts because if I'm listening to something while I'm running or working out, I, I'm not going to retain a damn word they say. See, I do a thing where like I'll download, like for instance, I'm like right now I'm listening to uh, the histories by Herodotus, you know, this like 700 page, like ancient Greek historian. And like, I'm not retaining, you know. I don't know, half of it probably, but like, you know, I'll, I'll catch little bits here and there and I'm like, Oh, that's cool. That's interesting. And then like, you know, I get to, to be smug and be like, of course I've read Herodotus when I haven't read it. I've really just listened to it being spoken aloud, you know, while I, uh, masturbate in the corner. (laughs) Well, (laughs) now everyone's going to know you're a fraud and quiz you on this book. (laughs) Um, but in all seriousness, no, uh, Lauren, Lauren to is one half of the hot new literary podcast in town. Uh, and by town, I mean, uh, the city of New York on the Island of Manhattan. It's called our struggle. It's about, uh, the hosts struggle to read, uh, the six volume, uh, epic novel, 
by Carl Ove Kanausgard uh, called My Struggle. So yeah, it's uh, it's a great podcast. Uh, her and Drew do a really good job. I'm gonna need you to keep it in your pants, okay? I I, I did my best to edit the episode <laughs> around your around your star struckedness or whatever words you want to star struckness. Um, so whatever. I'm a big yeah. fan. Uh, Lauren, thanks for coming on. We did a great episode. Uh, yeah, I don't know. If you want more of this, if you want more of uh, mine and John's uh, Z grade banter, Patreon.com slash silver screen video um yeah hit us up uh wait i wonder why our struggle doesn't have a patreon i'm sure they could pull in some cash uh, did you just say z grade <laughs> yeah you think it's better <laughs> you think we're up to w grade uh possibly i don't know um uh, you're you're on your worst critic you know you're your own worst critic so what are you gonna do yeah i don't true. know why they don't have a patreon yeah i was wondering that myself when we when we were talking at the end of the episode i just forgot to ask so yeah they, they got a merch store which i can't remember the name of uh but uh well it's sure. in the episode yeah, yeah and it'll be in the show notes as well everything about how to buy their merch which lauren does point out in the episode that they are running out of shirts uh, and and, and they're making and she's getting working on new design. Anyway, all that'll be in the show notes. So you guys, anything you want to follow or purchase from them, but Lauren, we really did. uh, If you do listen to this intro, we did enjoy you coming on. really enjoyed talking about Viking pissed face. Um, And uh, yeah, it was a fun time, but I will say um, Jacob undersold our Patreon guys. You get at best, like, I mean, at worst, I should say, C-level. C-level banter at okay. worst. On a good day, it's probably a B. Um, <laughs> I really thought you were going to say A there, but no, you just said B. No, it's all about subverting expectations. Anyway, that's here and over there. We do silver small screen video, guys. We're in the talking about Mad Men right now. We are in season four. Uh, feel free to join that. Also, we do a kind of a laid back thing where we shoot the shit and talk about what we're watching called silver screen video after dark. And uh, if you pay us enough money over there on one of those tiers, uh, we will talk about a director or movie that you love. Um, So you could do it to torture us or it could do it because you want to support us Uh, either way. We'll take your money. So (laughs) yeah, you can make us watch whatever you want. Uh, We're, we're we're whores. We'll do anything, you know? I mean, there's limits, you know, I don't want any porn parodies coming in. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's you know, true. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. anyway, Scooby-Doo um, Triple X or whatever. Well, that would be interesting. Yeah, that. Well, um, let's not, yeah, obviously, <laughs> we would watch that. You know. Uh, anyway, guys, I think it is time to get to the guest episode uh, because it is a good one. Do you have anything else to add before we uh, get to it? I have one last thing to add in the Scooby-Doo porn parodies. What do they do with Scooby-Doo as a character? Because I'm going to stop you right there. I'm just saying you're Guys, swimming in hot water, you know, you are, which is why I was hoping to avoid the hot water. Cause right <laughs> now it is lukewarm. Um, <laughs> Guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode with Lauren. Make sure you go check out their podcast. I hear it's essential. Our struggle. Everything's in the show notes. And uh, Lauren, thank you again. And guys, thanks for stopping by the Silver Screen video. We'll see you next week. Folks, our guest this week is a great writer, uh, and she hosts the essential literary podcast of our times, Our Struggle. Please welcome to the show, Lauren Teixeira. Hi, Lauren. How's it going? Great. Wow. I'm so flattered. 
Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, God damn it. As soon as we start, my dogs start barking. <laughs> um, Sick of those fucking dogs, man. I know. It's a recurring problem. I, you know, I don't know. I actually um, just had a listener send me a picture of his uh, dog uh, in Irish Stafford wearing an Our Struggle t-shirt in front, in front of the Salford Lads Club, or no, the Salford Boys Club. Uh, no less, which is the famous background of a, a the Smiths photograph. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Aren't those dogs huge? It look doesn't look that big. Oh, okay. Wasn't yeah, sure. it looks kind of like a. Hmm, how do I describe this dog? It looks kind of like a pit bull, maybe. Oh, okay. It's An just kind Irish of. Well, Stafford. no, no, no. It's not like a pit bull. No, maybe it is like a pit bull. What do pit bulls look like? Um, but he's like, you know, it's like a gray, yeah, it's kind of muscular and gray looking. It's wearing an R struggle t-shirt in lilac. Um, and it's standing (laughs) in front of, it's kind of remarkable. He got that on him on or her. Um, and he's standing in front of the Salford lads club and, um, yeah. The Salford lads club. Is that, uh, that's some kind of Smith's lore. Um, Yeah. It's just, there's a famous photograph of them taken in front of, of there. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm. I'm just a. I, I'm a. I'm a Spotify Smiths uh, fan. <laughs> and like when they come on, I'm like, oh, yeah, I like yeah. this song, and then that's about yeah. it. Fair uh, enough. Fair enough. That's probably healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I, one. One shouldn't get too obsessed with Morrissey these days. I think you know. No, I mean, I would say now's the time. Really, I think this is. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is golden age. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> um, no, but seriously. Um, and the same listener, um, he sent me a passage about Kanausgard. Apparently, Kanausgard has sounded off on dogs, and he said he said he had a dog, but he had to give it away because it, his barking reminded him too much of his father. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh man, that's incredible. Um, that's that's what's yeah. in my head about dogs today. For our kind of uh, uh, troglodyte uh, movie watching uh, crowd that listens to this podcast, um, you have uh, a podcast with higher aspirations. Uh, the Arch. I wouldn't say they're that they're that much higher, but thank you. Uh, uh, you're uh, you're dedicated to uh, 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 exploring um, exegizing. Is that a word? Exegizing. That sounds uh, right. The works. Sounds good, even yeah. if it's not. No, you yeah, said it sure. with the, enough confidence. Uh, the uh, Carl of Kanausgard, which that's something I learned from your podcast. That it's mm-hmm. Kanausgard. It's not that's just correct. Kanausgard. Yeah. yeah. Um, his uh, seven book series, six book six series. Book. Yep. One for um, each million that died, and the you know what. <laughs> um how uh what's the situation like where's your progress through the book are you guys still only two books in oh we're only Uh, one book in my friend oh okay we have not even finished book one um getting toward the end of book one no i I mean like personally like reading oh my my progress um yeah, yeah, yeah my progress is i still haven't finished book two. Oh, okay yeah all right um how well, long are they? Since there's six of them, uh, they average about six hundred uh, pages. Oh wow! Can't imagine that is a easy read. It's actually yeah. easier than you would think. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's basically just like a chronicle of his uh, the mundanities of his life, right? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. uh, cinematic equivalent might be like Jean, the Chantel Ackerman film, like Jean Delmon, you know? Oh, um, never, never seen it. 
It's just I three. didn't know that you could write around write about the mundaneness of life. Maybe I will become a writer. You can, <laughs> dude. You can. Okay. Okay. And you know what? You became an international bestseller. So, well, it might be time for me to close my window. We have a delightful subculture in DC that's like dirt bike boys, and they really uh, like my street in particular. So, I think I might close my window. I mean, they are really cool. It's just like loud. Yeah. I got all of my um, uh, dirt bike people information from Creed when they rode up and down the street in Philadelphia. That's all I know of it. Creed? I know there's oh, like the some. Movie. Yeah. Yeah, the movie. There's like, I know there's like some, like, there's like a big culture around dirt biking and four wheeling, like yes. in cities, which mm-hmm. I think is really yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, it's kind of remarkable when you see them in their like pontoon, just like all coming down a street and um, doing mm. the you know, they call it 12 o'clock. Like they do, <laughs> they're at a 90 degree angle with the ground. Um, it's really uh, scary, but also kind of beautiful um, and pointless. And which is, I think what really makes it art. I was talking about this with someone the other day. It's, it's really, it's true art. Yeah. I was, uh, I was able to uh, not engage, but experience uh, some of the uh, street bike uh, culture in the Bronx when I used to live in the Bronx, but now I'm in, Morningside Heights and uh, oh, you're no Morningside such Heights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say hi to Drew. Uh, he lives, I think, around there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard him mention he was at like one twentieth or something, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah. like I'm, you know, I, it's funny. I was actually, um, I, I, I was listening to uh, to you guys talk about him like getting recognized in like clandestino or yeah. something, and which is hilarious, by the way. Amazing. Um, yeah. But like I was actually down in that area of town and someone walked up behind me and I was like, is that Drew? Like <laughs> I recognized his voice and I was like, I don't exactly know what he looks like. Yeah. Like I kind of do. I've seen like maybe two pictures on Twitter yeah. that you posted. And but of course, I like I'm, I, I'm not the type of person to ever in a million years be like, do you have a podcast? You know? <laughs> um. So, yeah, I stayed quiet, but I'm, I'm happy for Drew. You know, he's 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 becoming the. The, the Dasha Necrosova of the 2020s. I think. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh man, I'm gonna tell him you said that. He'll have a he'll spaz spaz have a spasm of joy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I'll tell you this. Yeah. I don't know what's going on down there. I like. I mean, there's maybe, something going on. Yeah. Maybe you can be like our correspondent or something. But like, <laughs> it, it sounds like a uh, like we're actually gonna have Caitlin Phillips on. The oh show yeah. Here. In a few days, she's much more plugged into that scene than I than I am. Certainly, yeah. I, I think she runs it almost. Yeah. Like there's, I don't, I don't know what's going on down there. Even like I listen to Red Scare, and Dasha is like, "Oh, I'm a meme to those people." Like I don't mm-hmm. know, like you know, like I don't yeah. even really engage with them. And it's like, yeah, Drunken Canal and like Honor Levy is a person, and I'm just like, dude, I don't, yeah. I'm aging out of this. I don't know what. Oh no, I'm yeah, I feel ancient when I hear about that subculture. Even though like Dean is like really active in it and he's like old, no offense, Dean. It's fine. He's a man. He can be 38. It's totally fine. But yeah, well, <laughs> he's a man. He can be 38. Men can be 38. It's fine. I thought Dean was older for some reason. No, I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. He's like a chronicler of it. You know, he's like mm-hmm. the, uh, I don't know. I was trying to think of a literary reference, but he's like the, um, He's like the chronicler of that whole thing. Like I read his movable feast kind of situation, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like he, um, 
I read his like latest article in Spike, and I was just like, dude, I don't understand any of like what is an angelicism? <laughs> like, <laughs> I like, think that's I'm... the galaxy brain level for that. <laughs> I think that's like it's like <laughs> that's like the really hard stuff. Like, you do not even want to touch that. <laughs> I know. Like, I was just like, I don't like. I feel yeah. like I'm. I don't know. I feel like I'm having a stroke when I'm mm-hmm. like trying to understand anything related I do too. to that scene. Yes, exactly. And like I like I go down there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I mean I, I'm not part of the scene, but like you know yeah. I live in Manhattan, and it's and like I go down there, and I'm like this. Like there's like a woman like uh, you know cleaning uh, fish on the sidewalk, and I'm like this is the center of New York culture. Like what the hell's going on? You know. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it, it's wild. I I have I don't know. Maybe Caitlin Phillips can can help shed. Some I'm, light I'm sure the she hole. can. Um, yeah. I yeah, I can't help as I've never actually. Uh, I mean, I think I'll probably go up to New York sometime this fall and make Drew take me to Clandestino, and we'll just sit there drinking yeah. seltzer. But um, yeah, I don't. For now, I I can't tell you too much. We'll keep our uh, well. There's a, I'll there's have a... you know, there's quite a culture here in the Panhandle as well, so <laughs> don't think you can shame me on that. So I, I've often guys. heard, yeah, no, the Panhandle is like the um, Lower East Side of of Florida. Yeah, of the South, yeah. really. Yeah. Of the uh, South, yeah. Uh, That's a way to put it. Yes. Well, see, there's there's like a there's like a movie offshoot of that whole crowd, the Ion Pack. Do you know these guys? Again, like, no of it. Haven't investigated any further. Are these the guys you're trying to harass into a beef with us? <laughs> yes, actually. Okay. Okay. Because yeah, they, they, they're like a movie podcast, but they use, okay. like, uh, they use, like, voice changing, like, things oh, to, like, change their creepy. voice and be anonymous. Yeah. And they, like, hmm. I think it's because they're, like, industry people, you know? That's probably why. Yeah, I would guess that's why. And they have like like they interviewed like Honor Levy and they interviewed like Jeremy O'Harris and blah blah blah. Yeah. And like I'm just like I'm gonna start a feud with these fucking guys. Like I'm in New York. I'm a New York movie podcast. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna chase some clout by starting a feud with these Ion Pad guys. And of course they have no idea we exist. Okay. Well, I I wish you luck. Yeah, I don't know. It's. I don't know. You, you can hear my my anxiety rate like raising because I'm like I want to be part of this crowd slash I want to yeah. destroy this crowd. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways, of the same coin. Yeah. Anyways, um, well, I look yeah. forward to you coming to New York and being part of the scene. Uh, I mean, let's not let's not say part of the scene. Let's say <laughs> uh, let's say maybe <laughs> reluctantly adjacent at the very most. Right. Okay. Um, I'm sober. I mean, like I'm, I'm 29 as we've established, or I'm 29 next month. I'm sober. You know, I can't, I can't do that. But sober is cool um, now, though, from what I understand. Is I, it? Yeah, I uh-huh. think it's the hot new thing that everybody's doing. Um, well, Drew and I have kind of got that on lock because we've been, we've been developing like tandem like seltzer problems this fall, hmm. and that's kind of like what we're doing um, to stay sober. So. You know, there's something. Yeah. John, do you mess around with these seltzers? Any? Do you drink seltzer? Are we talking like Lacroix and stuff? Yeah. No, 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 no. Oh no. no. Okay. No, no. Oh. Yeah. No, not Lacroix. Not Lacroix. Um, that's the worst one. I picked up one at the Yes Organic Market. Shout out to Yes Organic Market, sponsor of the pod. It's called Nixie, sparkling water, grapefruit flavor. Mm. Okay. It was pretty. Yeah, refreshing. I don't. 
I don't drink any of that stuff. My wife's really into like kombuchas and all the seltzers and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I've tried like I, I don't know. I didn't know Lacroix was the worst. I tried one and I couldn't. Like I took a swallow and I was like, "This is awful. Like this is not for me." But I know it's a huge scene. A lot of a lot of brands out there blowing up. Yes. So. Yeah, I can't. Uh, I, I feel like every time I drink one, I'm like, "There's something in this that that they're going to discover is bad in like a few years." You know, like. Oh yeah. I yeah. don't know what I mean, it is. I think it's bad for your teeth. It's bad for your like esophagus. Yeah, um, it's like vaping. There's yeah. some chemical that's in it that, like, in a couple yeah. of years, they're going to be like, "Oh, this is killing everybody." You know? Yeah. Well, as long as it tastes good, who cares? Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, says the vegan. Uh, uh, There's no yeah. reason to bring this to bring that into this. Oh, excuse, sorry. You don't like to talk about your heritage. <laughs> you don't like to talk about your veganism. Um, so anyways, Lauren, we got you on here. We're going to talk about uh, some movies. Uh, yeah. After all, mm-hmm. this is a movie podcast. Um, yeah, famously. Yeah. Tell us uh, what uh, what movies you kind of chose and what's your, uh, what's your kind of, uh, I don't know, intellectual direction that we're going in today. Oh, okay. So here's what happened. You guys famously direct messaged me on mm-hmm. the app Twitter. Right. And I received that message and I, I said, oh, I have to choose three movies. And <laughs> well, maybe a topic, you know, we can we can help you out with the movies. But uh... oh, I thought I had to choose all three movies. No, 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 no. We... Anyway, I was yeah, I was a little overwhelmed because I'm not and I should make this clear now. Um, I'm not a movie person, really. I mean, okay. uh, I don't watch a ton of them. I don't basically don't watch anything at this point in my life. Aside from uh, Winnie the Pooh and various Winnie the Pooh offshoots, which of course I do in a professional capacity, right. and it's kind of driving me to the brink of self-immolation. Um, but well, we're doing a Winnie the Pooh series next month, so we might have. Is that right? Back. Yeah. Oh my God! You do not honestly like. You would have to bleep a lot of stuff in that. <laughs> in that, like, you do not want to hear me go off on Winnie the Pooh. I am so fucking sick of those assholes in the Hundred Acre Wood. I mean, um, I kind of do now. Um... Oh my god! I am no, curious. but like seriously, I can go through every character in the Hundred Acre Wood, and like I have a power ranking. Okay, hold on. Let me let me look up the Hundred Acre Wood so I know exactly what characters we're dealing with here. Um, well, when it when it comes to Winnie the Pooh, I will say that I do get a kick out of reading some of these like fucked up fan theories that exist around like christopher robin and he's insane and there's all kind of fucked up shit that happens in the woods and stuff that, those, are pretty, those are pretty amusing to me actually they get pretty dark with it like it's all like a i have actually dream. never read the fan theories as i don't seek out any more winnie the pooh content as is strictly necessary um <laughs> in my job but well let's it's, um, uh, let's run yeah, you through the torture chamber here and let's talk about some of the residents of the uh of the hundred acre wood we've got uh okay we've got eeyore uh eeyore. Yeah, i don't know thoughts mm-hmm. on eeyore yep. he seems kind of like a boring eeyore guy. eeyore's at the bottom he's not the very bottom but eeyore is uh yeah no eeyore fuck off he's just kind of relentlessly morose um to the point of almost like because you know how you'll have a friend who's like so depressed like and they're not even really trying right. to like get out of that and it's really fucking annoying. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, no, but you can't that, really that's pretend not to me be in my Jonathan's. Yeah, life, well, so. we, we've all been that person. <laughs> yeah, but and we've all had that friend. And it's um, it's frankly, I mean, I don't, I don't understand like what age everyone in the hundred acre wood is supposed to be. But 
given that there are children, like Rue is a child, right? Rue is kind of presented as a, as a child because he has a mother, right. Kanga. Kanga's daughter. But, and so I'm guessing, you know, the people who are not Rue are adults. Mm-hmm. And so to me, Eeyore is basically really fucking irresponsible by being such a fucking bummer to all his friends. <laughs> and also never fixing his house. This asshole lives in a house of sticks that he doesn't secure in any way. Right. And it, is always getting blown over by the wind or by like an avalanche of acorns or whatever. Um, And it's kind of like, you know, maybe just look into some other options. You know, my, my niece watched a lot of Winnie the Pooh. So I in turn watched a lot of Winnie the Pooh with, with, with babysitting her and whatnot years ago when she was a kid. And I always thought the rabbit was the worst character by far. Um, no, 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 he's no, not no. the who worst, you, okay. the worst so character in all of Winnie one? the Pooh. The worst character is Tigger by a lot. Okay. I, I can, I can actually get, I could see that, but why so? Okay. So again, like Eeyore being the relentlessly morose friend, Eeyore, or no, sorry, no, Eeyore being the relentlessly morose friend. I think Tigger is someone who, you know, now we would maybe diagnose with something like mania. Uh, <laughs> he, there's clearly something untreated. He he has no sense of decorum, and he has in the way in which he bounces into these situations and relentlessly, you know, deploys his catchphrases to the point of not letting other people speak and kind of dominating social situations to in the most obnoxious way possible. To speak someone who is either completely clueless or in the throes of of something. Uh, and I think he's, and also, but I think at the same time, we're supposed to imagine that he's charming and all of his little verbal inventions and, and catchphrases are charming, which they're not, they're grating. And, uh, <laughs> I just think if, like, if you knew that person in real life and you knew he was going to a party, you'd say, I will not be going, I will not be going there. So what do you think of Christopher Robin in the midst of all this? Christopher Robin is an interesting figure because he kind of, um, He's not present for most of these adventures. He kind of comes in as a deus ex machina at the end of a lot of these stories. Um, Because another thing about the Friends of the Hundred Acre Wood, with the notable exception of maybe uh, Rabbit or Owl, is that they're all dimwits. Like, they are functionally illiterate, and they get into the same scrapes over and over again. Like, there's one story in which they don't... They Winnie the Pooh thinks he sees another poo, but it's like he saw it in a mirror. (laughs) And it's like, that is that is something children can do by the time they're like six months old, like recognizing themselves in a mirror. It's like the intelligence level of the Hundred Acre Wood is, is abysmal. Um, and so Christopher Robin kind of, he always appears after, you know, they've convinced themselves that, you know, there's such a thing as a heffalump and then, you know, whatever. Um, and then he shows up and he says, you know, silly old bear, et cetera, et cetera. And so, I don't know, maybe Christopher Robin could maybe intervene earlier so that these things don't happen. But He's kind of like a, a Greek god character who's just like sitting back up, well, exactly. observing yeah. and laughing, you know, kind of the gods mocking the, you know, the, the, the world that he's created he in a way. Yeah, yeah, because he created the world also. Right. Um, so... I do, I don't know. I mean, he's not terrible. Uh, some incarnations of him are more annoying than others. But, like, because he, the way in which he's depicted in, in you know, various renditions of the series uh, varies quite widely. 
Um, what about the man himself? Yeah. Because I, you know, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of seeing like a little, you know, like a little drawing of like, um, you know, the, I think Disney, the animation is really kind of lame, but I think the original artwork is sometimes often very beautiful. And I'm guilty of looking at like, you know, um, the original Pooh Bear with like no, with like just little dots for eyes and like no mouth and mm-hmm. like um, with his little like, you know, belly. And I'm just like, you know, mm-hmm. me AF, you know, like, uh, <laughs> like a Facebook mom or something, you know. And so like, what what about the man himself? What do you, how do you. You, you have that thought, but you don't share it with me AF. Right. <laughs> you were, you restrain yourself before you share it on Facebook with me AF. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I just think yeah. it inwardly and, I, and then I yeah. hate myself for having that thought, yeah. you know. Um, so Winnie the Pooh, he's not at the bottom, but he is, I mean, I don't know any, any other way to put this. He's an addict. Like he displays all the behavior of one and it's to the point where it kind of clouds all his relationships and, um, the, uh, his addiction of course being honey, I should, in case anyone's not clear of the series. Right. Uh, I mean, he he truly cannot control himself around it. Like he'll to the point where it's like he'll be bringing honey to like for a friend or something, but then he eats it along the way, and right. that is, I mean, classic behavior. And so I don't. Again, I don't really know why all of these characters are being posited as role models for children, given that they all have, to my mind, pretty severe neuroses. You know, Tigger mania, Eeyore depression, uh, poo addiction. Um, who else? Rabbit, maybe OCD. Yeah, he's kind of uh, like a control freak, right? He's a control freak, yeah. Um, and kind of just a bummer. Um, right. Piglet, uh, also some kind of OCD. Um, he has, seems to be afraid of everything. I mean, he's just he's beset by constant phobias. Right. Uh, that are irrational, entirely irrational. You know, for yeah. me, it kind of seems like it seems like A.A. A. Milne. Um, the, you know, the, obviously they're A.A. Really, Milne, honestly. <laughs> well, it seems like the creator of all this, like he, in a sense, is I mean, this is, you know, uh, English lit 101 level analysis here. But it seems like he is the Christopher Robin in the sense that he like, um like just created this because I think it, I'm looking at it says he named the character Winnie the Pooh after a teddy bear owned by his son and that he just well his son is Christopher Robin yeah but like I, I guess I'm yeah. I guess I'm thinking that like like A.A. A. Milne created all these characters just kind of like on a whim you know mm-hmm. and then they've turned out to be this like kind of Frankenstein you know situation <laughs> where he's just like he like he is the he is the Christopher Robin character in the sense that he is the vengeful God who has created this right. world. And it's hmm, like, okay. what hath A.A. Milne wrought, you know? Well, exactly. <laughs> like, I think he's, yeah, he's a little like the guy who bred golden doodles. Who's like, yes, you know, yeah. what have I unleashed on the world? And the, and the characters, <laughs> the characteristics only become more pronounced as time goes on. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have to, because for children, I mean, everything, you, there's no subtlety. So it just right. gets worse and worse uh, as time goes on, and yeah, no, he's he unleashed something. It's a you could you could call it a Pandora's box, but he, um, yeah, and he apparently also just sold out his son. Apparently, actual Christopher Robin was always extremely uh, bitter about it, his, having like his childhood basically taken away and sold for profit. Oh, so, could you imagine? Could you imagine like your little childhood yeah. fantasies and dreams just mm-hmm. being like? sold on like a t-shirt at walmart with like poo wearing and turned into the most obnoxious fucking characters possible yeah right 
Yeah, think about that while you're cashing your fucking paychecks. Whatever, man. I'd take that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's he's gonna be also fun. it's funny you mention about and I feel certain our audience is finding this riveting. Um, but it's <laughs> funny you mention Winnie the Pooh having an eating disorder because when I when I was younger, I used to rant that Winnie the Pooh uh encouraged childhood obesity and encouraged early like development developmental eating disorders in children. And wow. I still think that's somewhat true. Well, yeah, I don't know if it's an eating disorder or an addiction. Um, I guess, I, and I suppose they are one and the same sometimes. Uh, I didn't think of that part of it, but um, there is, I mean, there certainly is some, I guess what we would today call fat shaming in the original A.A. Milne. I believe there's one in which Winnie the Pooh goes to visit Rabbit in his den and helps himself to all of Rabbit's honey. And then... But and he grows so fat that he cannot squeeze out of rabbit's hole. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah oh yeah, that's of, like the what's yeah. eating Gilbert Grape episode kind of. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> oh. And so, but then, and this is I again, maybe this is disordered eating. Christopher Robin rolls up and he says, "You know, Winnie, to get out of here, you're just going to have to not eat for as long as it takes you to slim down. And so Winnie the Pooh just stays in that hole and starves for days on end while the, all the friends in the Hundred Acre Wood come and jeer at him. He's, he's binge eating, jeering, essentially. He's, yeah. yeah, he's binging and purging. Wow. Um, he's essentially like the freak that everyone goes to look at and laugh at. Yeah. Um, for that I mean, yeah, literally. Although, I mean, I'm not sure they're laughing at him, but, I mean, I think they are. I would be, <laughs> probably, but... You know, just to just to wrap up this this uh, poo talk, I just want to read uh, this thing I just saw on the Eeyore Wikipedia page, which is um, there's an Eeyore Wikipedia page. Oh yeah, uh, it, well, it, I would imagine it's part of the Winnie the Pooh wiki. Uh, <laughs> That's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> I was trying to think. What do you call Wikipoo? You know, I don't know. Wikipoopedia. Uh, Wikipoopedia. Wikipoodia. That's it. It's right there. Wikipoodia. Um, okay. There you go. Uh, so, uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is a little tidbit about yours life. Um, absolutely bone chilling what I'm about to read. Um, yours level of literacy is unclear. <laughs> uh, it is. Yeah. When Christopher Robin shows him the letter a, uh, Eeyore does not understand its meaning, uh, knowing only that quote, it means learning something he desperately mm-hmm. wants to be seen as having. Uh, hmm. But he angrily destroys the letter after finding that Rabbit, who is actually quite literate, knows about it already. So we have a what? I know, I know, right? He, that he, is psycho! Oh my god! I mean, he, like, th- what is the metaphorical implications of this? He's like, he's like eating the language. Like, there, there's, it's haunting, right? Like, well, and also that he cannot share this language with others. I mean, right. I think. He, he's yeah, upset. That's really disturbing. He's upset that yeah. Rabbit knows about it already. Like, I don't, I don't know. Mm. I don't, I don't want to poke well, this any further. It's kind of disturbing. Well, now, now I'm wondering how many comments we're going to get from this episode of how we're all psychos for overthinking a children's show this much. But I don't care. Okay. Was- well, when you have to watch an hour of this shit yeah. every day, you know, hypothetical listener, talk. You know, we can talk, but. <laughs> I've I've gone to some pretty dark places in the past few months. <laughs> and this relates to cinema because this is the only cinema I've consumed um, pretty much for the past, I don't know, 
three months or so, with the exception of Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, which I, I watched last night um, in preparation for this um, fine program. I did too, actually. I watched it last night too. Yeah, same yeah. here. But look, um, let's talk about breaking so, the waves because. Well, hold on. Hold oh, on. Sorry, go ahead. Before we do that, I want to talk about, like, before we talk about the movies, the theme that, that I believe oh, you kind yeah, of want okay. to go oh, with right. Snell and Scarlet. I was trying to explain it and then I got sidetracked by Winnie the Pooh. Um, okay, so. One of the few, so here's how it started. One of the few movies I actually have watched in the past year. Uh, so the first one is Insomnia, and that was recommended to me by a listener of the podcast because it is about a uh, Swedish detective who goes to solve a mystery in Norway. Or the Swedish detective has been disgraced and must, you know, I guess, go to the boonies in Norway to live. And he, there's a, a mystery that happens. And of course, a great tension in My Struggle by Carl Uwe Knausgaard and does our podcast is uh, the, uh, what's the word? Animosity between Sweden and Norway. Mm-hmm. So that's that was the one I wanted to talk about. And then it turned out I, I really liked Stellan Skarsgård in that. And so I thought I might be go crazy and watch another movie this month. <laughs> and so then I watched uh, Breaking the Waves because I searched Stellan Skarsgård in... Um, in 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 Criterion Channel, mm. and it came up with Breaking the Waves, and so then I talked to mutual friend of the pod, Christian Lawrence, and I was like, dude, like, what do I choose? Like, here are the movies I've seen recently. Like, how can I make a trilogy out of this? And he's like, uh, why don't you watch Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? Because that also is kind of psychosexual, and it also has Stellan Skarsgård. And so I went back to you guys and I said, how about a Stellan Skarsgård um, themed? episode yeah kind of a uh uh psycho nordic uh trilogy i guess um yeah i think you could say that yeah um yeah because you you really uh i i believe the original suggestion was something like psychosexual scandinavian viking movies which (laughs) psychosexual vikings yeah i wanted to do that but then it seemed kind of nebulous and so, but then, yeah, Christian suggested Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and I realized, oh, Stellan Skarsgård is in it. He's also in these other ones. So this is a much more concrete, you know, thing holding these all together. Well, just hearing yeah. that, I was like, that made my head spin. I was like, psychosexual yeah. Viking. Like this, yeah, this is... I don't, uh, I don't understand yeah. what's so complicated about it. It's it's simply <laughs> Nordic men, you know, having psychosexual drama. What's... <laughs> um. Yeah, you know, I mean, okay, Breaking the Waves, I we did a podcast of our favorite movies from the 90s, mm-hmm. and uh, I put Breaking the Waves on my list, because I, mm. I, I watched it once, and I loved it, and then, like, whenever I was like, oh, I have to talk about this, and I was like, what is this even about again, you know, uh, yeah. because I just remember, like, loving it and just being kind of so overwhelmed by it, and then... Um, I don't know. It's just it's just such a strange, you know, movie. And then of course I made you, John, watch it and you uh you hated it, if I remember. Yeah. yeah oh really? <laughs> yeah, I remember. Um so yeah, what about breaking the waves? You like this movie? Um this this is what got you down the path. Or no Insomnia, I guess, got you down the path. Insomnia started me out. Yeah. Um that was my gateway drug. And Insomnia being the type of movie I like in that it's short, I don't I really don't have much of a tolerance for films that are more than eighty or ninety minutes, mm-hmm. but um I loved Insomnia, and I also I I don't know if I loved Breaking the Waves, but I admire it greatly. Mm. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, it's such a um, you know I don't know for anybody who hasn't seen it, it's basically about uh, 
Jesus, I, I mean, how do you gloss this movie? It's it's set in like the Scottish Highlands in like the seventies, um, and it's about Emily Watson. Um, and, I can read the synopsis. Yeah, yeah, read the synopsis. I don't have it pulled up. In a small and religious coastal town, a simple, devoutly religious Scottish woman, Bess McNeil, played by Emily Watson, finds a partner in an old wig worker from Norway, Jan Nyman, which is played by Stellan Skarsgård. However, the relationship grows strained when Nyman breaks his neck in a horrific work accident on the rig and becomes paralyzed, unable to perform sexually and suffering mentally from the accident as well. Jan convinces Bess to have sex with other men, which she comes to believe is God's work. <laughs> <laughs> that, and that last part is really doing a, that. That last phrase is really doing a lot of work because that's the. <laughs> it is, yeah. Because I would say the meat of this movie is is her um, sucking, fucking with random, you know, Highlanders right. uh, in an effort to um, bring Jan back back to health, uh, which succeeds. And and I think that's the moral of the story is that if you're husband is paralyzed on an oil rig maybe do go bang a bunch of guys because then you may get raped to death but your husband will uh heal <laughs> did i get is that the is that the moral <laughs> hey it's close enough yeah, yeah i think so yeah i think uh... no but seriously i mean i think uh i mean i thought it was brilliant like i don't really know shit about cinema at all i don't understand what was the point of the david bowie like interstitials or whatever those were i thought they were cool but um i just thought i am interested in like extremes and in um faith and belief um just like in general because i think you know i'm interested in authenticity which is something i think we talk about a lot on our podcast and something that i think is kind of maligned and or the idea that there is such a thing as, as authenticity. And um, what is more authentic than loving someone so much you give this random middle-aged man a handjob on the back of the bus? <laughs> that's, I mean, that's true devotion. Right. And I think, yeah, it's kind of a provocation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm, um, I, I, you know, there's something really powerful, I think, about a lot of, uh, about a specific group of Lars von Trier movies, um, who I am, I wouldn't say I'm a fan of, but he has also uh, Dancer in the Dark. Have you ever seen that, uh, Lauren? I've never seen any other Lars von Trier. Again, like, okay. not a cinephile, don't know shit. So this is the only, my only exposure to Lars von Trier. I, I would say definitely, if you like Breaking the Waves, Dancer in the Dark, um, is really interesting. It's it's kind of like high melodrama. Bjork plays like a blind uh, factory worker who kind of um, mm. uh, retreats into this like fantasy world um, where she's like a pop star essentially, or she like it, it's oh. like a musical and it's I don't know. It, it's absolutely nuts, uh, but it's it's really uh, interesting. And I think Dogville with Nicole Kidman is another Lars von Trier movie that is kind of similar in the sense where Nicole Kidman plays this character who was kind of like outcast by her society or by her community, I guess I should say, similar to the way that uh, Emily Watson is here. I don't know. There's something really affecting about this movie. And I, I don't know. And it's like you said, in its extremes, it's really uh, compelling. It reminds me of that movie, John, you remember that movie or day, the Carl Theodore Dreyer movie that we watched for like a double feature where the guy raises from the dead at the end. 
Um, oh yeah, that movie was fucking fantastic. I know, yeah. I know that movie's so sick, and like just. I don't know, just uh, just this idea of like 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 mixing like you know systems of belief and like I don't know magic realism, not necessarily, but I guess like supernatural type things, uh, and then um, yeah, these like high like sexual extremes. I don't know this this movie's right up my alley. I love it so much. Yeah, I mean it was it was cool, and it you know it takes risks and it's weird, and um, I I admire films like that. Um, it's not tidy, you know, it's kind of unwieldy. It goes, seems to go on for too long. Mm-hmm. Um, but you kind of, by the end, you're kind of in this like delirium, uh, or something right. where, uh, it totally, what she is doing totally makes sense within the logic of the world of the movie. Um, and yeah, I think when, when stories can accomplish that. Uh, because if you look at it from the beginning and you're like, well, she goes, she gets on a boat to try to have sex with these, um, what, what are those guys even? Are they like pirates? What is going on at the end? What, <laughs> I, I don't I know. Think, I think they're like sailors. Yeah, I don't know. They're sailors? Oh, yeah. They're probably merchant uh, seamen, but it's not a place you want to yeah. be. I mean, that's for <laughs> I mean, sure. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so like that at the end, if you just told someone at the beginning that's what she does, you'd be like, "What the fuck?" But by the end, I think it kind of uh, there's a certain logic to it, and um, but it's also not predictable. Yeah, and yeah, I just think the way it escalates is really is really great, and obviously Emily Watson is fantastic. I've never really seen her in anything else. I don't. Maybe this was her biggest movie i don't know it's a good question what is what is kind of her biggest role um i want to say the first time we watched it i think that's was my favorite part of it was her performance oh this was Um, her debut film role yeah i thought yeah because we i think we talked about that when we talked about this movie because she was fantastic yeah um but the rest of it i mean i think i'm not the biggest lars von trier fan i think he was trying to spin too many plates in this movie but like you said, Lauren, like I believe it works within the confines of this story. But I mean, I would have rather like the thread that he was following to my mind to do with religious zealots and like the mental illness that exists within that, that can sometimes be boiled down to just like dogma uh, was really was really interesting. But I mean, yeah, I just. I could not. It's probably my hatred for Lars von Trier that stops me from enjoying this movie for what it is. But I mean, it was great. The lead performances were fantastic. I love Stellan Skarsgård. I'll pretty much watch him in anything. So yeah, he's yeah. So that's what I wanted to talk about. Is I think he is so compelling, and I do not. I could not explain why. Like, I just enjoy him so much in everything I've ever seen him in. I think he must be like the maybe the Swedish equivalent of like a. I don't know, like a George Clooney or maybe more like Paul Newman, just like a dude who doesn't really play roles that are that different from each other, but who's just like naturally charismatic. So you mm. are just down. Uh, hey, he's always wanna... some gradation on like a kind of sinister Swedish man or Nordic man, some somewhere on that spectrum. Well, I'll tell you something interesting about him, because like I said, I'm a big fan. He has eight kids and they all act. I know. Well, I didn't realize he has eight. I just knew yeah. about Alexander and um, Bill. 
Yeah, he has eight, yeah. and I want to say all of them act. Maybe not one. Maybe not the youngest one, but uh, yeah, they. Well, all he has that in common with Knausgard, a prolific uh, procreator. Yeah, Knausgard has five children. Yeah, there. those those, those um, Nordic men, like it's you know. Yeah, like, they really like to spread their seed. It, I think it's the social safety net, you know. Like I it, think so. They're just like, we got daycare. Why not? Why not push out another one? Right. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know he he's he, he's kind of an interesting. There, there there's something um, there's something unsettling about him in everything. Yes, he, I think what what is it about him? Because he's not like because he's almost like a leading man. I mean, he is a leading man in a lot of ways. Yeah, but like like kind of maybe a few degrees askew of a leading man. There's just like something a little bit creepy about him. I don't know if we even have an American equivalent, right? I mean, or an Anglophone equivalent, maybe like, uh, is there a leading man who has an edge of creep to him? I don't, I don't, I don't think we would even let that happen over here. Really? You know, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe it's just the twisted Nordic psyche. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I guess if I had to pick, it might be like, like something like Ralph Fiennes. Who I find oh yeah, have, he does have right. a really yeah. nice edge, but I mean not, not to the extent that Stellan does. No, that yeah. is a good comparison though, because you're right. Right, you know, seeing 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 finds in something is often you're like, is this going to be one of those movies where he like goes over the edge? You know, it, it, like well, Grand it's, Buda- it's interesting. Oh, you can go ahead. No, I was just going to say really quick, Grand Budapest Hotel. You know, the Wes Anderson movie where it's like he is like perfect a perfect gentleman throughout the whole movie, but then like towards the climax of it, he starts getting like more and more like manic and crazy. And I think that's, uh, yeah, there, there's some, there's some Stellan, uh, Skarsgård ish, uh, features to, to find. So I think that's a good comparison. Well, you know, it's funny because my very first exposure to, to Stellan Skarsgård went, when I was like, man, I really like this guy before I even really knew how much I loved movies was, uh, in Goodwill hunting. He plays He's in that. Yeah, he plays the professor that like gets Will out of trouble and like kind of oh, pushes. Hey. Yeah, he like pushes Will to the brink of of like you know getting him interviews and trying to force him to use his intelligence. That's right. And, uh, oh, interesting. Yeah, it's really weird because he doesn't have the edge so much that we're talking about. But if you like, when you watch it, there is something like dark about him because. He's jealous of Will's intelligence, so he's oh. kind of like pushing him so he can live like vicariously through him. So there are some dark, like yeah. con- like like things there that are going on. So that was my first interaction with him, and I mean, I've watched pretty much everything he's been in. Yeah, he's just he's yeah. fantastic. I mean, has he ever been in anything where he's just a total sweetheart? Like, was he ever in um? Wasn't he in Mamma Mia? I was. I meant to look yeah. at that. Yeah, yeah, I meant to like look at a clip of him in that to see if I could see the the darkness, but I didn't. Uh, so maybe I'll do that after this. Yeah, I think everything he's really been in. I mean, Pirates. I'm just looking at some of the like American popcorn stuff that he's been in. Yeah. I mean, uh, the you know Pirates of the Caribbean movies, and he's obviously been part of the whole Marvel uh, thing. And oh, really? What is he in in Marvel? Um, I don't know what his character he's, is, but he's in he's like a Thor. he's a professor. Yeah, he's Eric oh, Selvig. Okay. He's a professor. It's one of those and even in that he brings something creepy to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Even in like the American, uh, you know, kind of popcorn stuff that he's in, he's always you know shifty. You know, I'll tell you though, there is shifty a shifty is a good word for him. Yeah, 
there is a well first he was really great in Exorcist the beginning and Dominion. He was really good in both of those. He was the only good Ooh. thing about them actually. Did we watch but, those um, for an, for an episode? No, we didn't we didn't watch those. Okay. No. Um but he was in a, a a long time ago. Uh he was in a he was in King Arthur with Clive Owen and Clive huh. Owen like plays plays the king King Arthur and uh he plays the bad guy. And they build him up, and he's so great. But then he never does anything. Oh! But he's so great in it. Like he he plays the warlord who's coming to try to take over Rome, and he never does anything except like kill a couple of guys. But he has this like this ability in the director's cut. He has this ability to steal every scene he's in because he has this long beard, and he like kind of lurches around because he has some battle injuries. And he just brings like just a form of gravitas to even a movie mm. like that. I don't know. There's just something so interesting about he has gravitas. He has gravitas in spades. That's a, that's another yeah. good word for him. He's got the gravitas. Well, and I th- um, even in I mean, even in breaking the waves, I think there's something kind of sexy about him, even though he looks like objectively like complete dog shit, mm-hmm. like so bad. Like, I think maybe they didn't they wanted him to look kind of shitty because otherwise it would he'd be too handsome and it would be like kind of a, you know, more of a fairy tale type situation because I think, I think they did want him to be shifty. They wanted it to start out where you don't know, can we trust this guy or not? Right. Um, but just like the way they made his hair really stringy and like, he just looks like he's like been smoking like three packs of cigarettes a day and, um, which maybe he is, I don't know. Uh, but he just carries it so well. Like, um, Yeah. He's got he's got the gravitas. You know, I, I think also that like there is like you know, and, and in some of his best roles, like you said, like there is this shiftiness um, to him, and like I, I think in Breaking the Waves, it's really useful because you know Von Trier is doing this thing where it's like the uh, surroundings are very like upsetting. You know, like the, the the things that she's doing should be upsetting to like just a conventional puritanical you know sexual culture or whatever and like and 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 he seems a little bit kind of creepy and weird and it's like oh did she cause his accident by praying or whatever but like the actual when you think about it this story is actually very wholesome you know like like it literally is about like the devoted love that this woman has for her husband but then like all of the accoutrement that are added to that is all the like weird, strange Montreal stuff, you know? And I think that's why he's perfectly suited for this role because it's like, no, like this is perfectly wholesome. The husband is a fine guy. He's just trying to deal with a bad situation. But the whole time you're like, is he up to something? You know, like he really, I know I was really, I was in suspense the entire time. I was waiting for something to be revealed where it was like, he's already married or like he didn't really love her or whatever, but it seemed like he was down with the program and i think wasn't the implication like the reason why he was putting her up to doing these sexual um things is like for her sake so she would like wouldn't go insane or or, like maybe so she'd have something to or didn't he say he just wanted to kill himself yeah he wanted someone to pull the plug yeah no i think that's yeah no i think that's i think that's definitely a reading of it is that like he wanted her to do these things not just for his sexual pleasure but so she could get back out there and like have a life you know and like at the end of the day this is that's why i love this 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 movie so much is because it's like this is essentially about two people who like love each other too much 
you know, like you can almost kind of see perhaps like, yeah you can almost see like the ending i mean you know and when you when you say the words like this gang rape uh that kills this woman is essentially the ultimate uh act of like self-sacrificial love it sounds absurd and it really is yeah. but like it's also like when you like are able to like take one step back you're like oh my god this is like this is really like profound deep love that these two people have for each other you know um yeah and it's it's you know it's holy it's sacred and that's juxtaposed with the kind of uh hypocritical holiness of these scottish these i mean they those guys really lend dower a new weight the word dower (laughs) like it's almost that word is not sufficient to describe these guys like they they really can't take it uh kick it up a notch um the the scots apparently he wanted to set this in um denmark originally but like they couldn't um but i think scotland was a great choice yeah i mean i mean um, it could not be more grim right right yeah i mean the way he shoots it in like the hand i think it's all handheld uh 35 millimeter which Mm. is just an insane way to shoot a movie yeah i don't know I, i like this movie but you know let's transition into insomnia because this is another just really brilliant performance by by stellan skarsgård um i don't know this is the one that got you down the the stellan train what uh mm-hmm. what drew yeah. you to insomnia because it's it's really fucking good um it's great yeah so a listener recommended it to me as i was mentioning before i guess oh, we right. started recording we have all these deranged listeners who will send me these kind of unhinged emails and there's this one guy who emails me in all caps kind of it's kind of a provocation i mean i think it's performance art mostly but um, he was just, you know, one of the things he enumerated on this list was that I should maybe consider watching Insomnia, uh, a film about um, starring, I think he put it, a sexually regretful Stellan Skarsgård, uh, who is a Swede who kind of invades Norway, which again speaks to the, the theme of, um, of the tension between right. the Norwegians and the Swedes. And so I watched it. I checked it out. And... Um, I was like, oh, this is like my perfect movie because it's only like 80 minutes. It's noir. I love it. You know, I love a noir. That's my novel. I'm writing a noir novel. Um, You know, it's very open and shut. It's just a guy, a a Swedish guy shows up in a remote Norwegian town. There's a mystery. They solve it. Uh, There's like some moral ambiguity and it's over. Amazing. Yeah, I I agree. I really like it's it's. It's a very cut and dry type of movie. And I know you said you don't watch a lot of movies, but I have to ask, have you ever seen the remake by Christopher Nolan? Oh, did he do a remake? A remake? Yeah. 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 I did not. Yeah. Well, it came out in 2002 and it stars Pacino as the cop and Robin Williams as the murderer. Hmm. Okay. And uh, Hilary Swank plays the female cop. Mm -hmm. Um, It's worth watching. Because that's the one I saw first. And like for, for anybody, big fans of Nolan typically sleep on that movie and like put it towards the bottom of the list. But I, I think it's one of his best movies. But this was my first time watching Insomnia, uh, the, the, the Swedish version. So I was really looking forward to it. And I loved it. But the best thing about this movie was him. There, there, to me, when I compare it to the remake, they there was a lot more going on in the remake because like they said it in Alaska. So you still had the, the daylight issue, obviously, which right. is a huge part of it. And they really milked 
the insomnia part of it more. Mm-hmm. But Stellan Skarsgård's performance in this was just insane. It was perfect. The way he weaved in and out of uh, like instability and it was seamless. Like there was never, like it was really well done. I just loved his interactions with the students and his interactions with, with his coworkers. Even before he shot his partner, he was still clearly unhinged. Like there was still obviously still a problem with him. But I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I recommend watching the remake if you ever feel like watching. I think it's also around, you know, a hundred minutes. It's rather short, but I, I recommend it if you like this one, just because it's interesting to see like an American take. Hmm. Okay, yeah. No, it's interesting. I'm also surprised that it seems like they have big names for the other two characters because it seems like this is pretty much this insomnia is pretty much the Stellan Skarsgård show. Everyone else is very minor roles. Um, and I don't think they're, they're big names in, in Sweden or Norway either. Yeah, and that's what was interesting about the American remake because I'm sure he needed to get those names to even get the movie greenlit because it was still early in his career. But Robin Williams plays in my opinion this is why i like the the remake better they really let him have some fun with being the killer like much i mean it seems like he would be a great fit for that role just from what i know of the killer in this one i can definitely see him in that role oh yeah he was just he was so good jacob what about you like you've seen both versions like which one are you more into you know i they're they're really almost aside from the you know giving robin williams a little more um you know, meat on the bone or, or meat to chew on in that role. Um, they're really kind of similarly or similar, similar structurally, but oh, yeah. just the vibe is completely different. You know, the Nolan movie is shot more like a conventional American noir, you know, um, the photography is darker, you know, things like that. Uh, whereas like, <laughs> like the original is kind of like, the relentless glare of the midnight sun, you know, like it is just so bright. And so like, just, I don't know, you feel like you're, uh, I don't know. I I feel like that effect is a little bit blunted in the American remake because, you know, we already have like a, we already have a syntax and a language for, you know, these types of crime stories. And I mean, I'm sure they do in Norway too, but like we already have such a, like a well-worn, um, you know, this is how you do like a crime, you know, movie. Whereas like, the original is just like i mean it's just like oh it's like the the screen is just bleached you know it's just constant like brightness and stuff so i think that for me is the key difference it's just that style you know i really like the one cop that got shot in the leg that just seemed like he was happy to be there um that (laughs) was a really jolly guy yeah he was just like so nice i'm like man i hope this guy doesn't die yeah no he was um wait you mean the guy who selling scars guard kills his own partner? No, no, the, the guy the guy that got shot in the leg who who was already working, like he was on the police force oh. when he got to Sweden. And he's um. yeah, he's the guy that got shot in the shin by uh by the bad guy or whoever shot him. Um but yeah, I just I thought he was so that. nice. And he's like giddy when he's talking to Stellan Skarsgård and he's like, Ah, oh, you're you must be used to this, but we're not. And he's like, What do you mean? He's like, Two bodies in one week. And it's like, <laughs> Are you just happy about these murders? Like, what are you, what is going on? He just needs a friend. He just wants somebody there to hang out with. Because didn't he say who reads this like romantic shit or something? And that guy's like, I do. Yeah, like, I yeah. forgot what. <laughs> so that I was- do. I like it. What about the scene with uh, the student in the car? Oh, that was very. Yeah, that tense. was a weird scene. Ooh, yeah, brother. That's. <laughs> I mean, talk about psychosexual. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That, uh, oof, I don't know, man. Uh, that, that, that's another scene that has a completely different feel in the remake. I think in the remake, am I wrong, John? In the remake, isn't it just like a conversation? Like it's not. Well, I mean, it, 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 it's, uh, there's definitely a different feel to it in terms of how, uh, you know, how inappropriate it gets. Yeah. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the Norwegians are maybe a little more comfortable with, uh, you know, the bounds of, uh, appropriate well uh, but isn't the whole what? point that this guy's the reason he's in hicksville norway is that he didn't he like sleep with a a witness or something in stockholm like he's he's done some kind of sexual transgression which is why he's been farmed out right to norway right. and so i think that's kind of touching on that uh a move to norway seen... after being caught having sex with the main witness in one of his cases yeah yeah yeah, yeah. When when he's in the room after he plants the gun, and and the two and they come in and start having sex, that was a uh, oh that was, that was a that was such a weird scene. Mm-hmm. He made it out of there though. He did. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Got to give him props. Yeah. I wasn't sure if he was going to start participating or what. Oh, you thought he was, was exactly. just going to jump in there? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was weighing his options. Like, yeah. what are they? How are they going to feel? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I, uh, you know, I like insomnia. I really love breaking the waves, but I, I just, but I want to say one more thing is I think oh, this sorry. movie is a absolutely prime example of something I've been developing for a while, which is my theory of Viking pissed face. It's just okay. like a, it's just a Nor- Nordic man just looking so incredibly pissed and having right. this resting face of just being so fucking on it, just scowl, just scowling, <laughs> but the scowl, extends to the entire persona somehow. And I think right. Stellan Skarsgård is really the master of Viking pissed face in this movie. I mean, it's, it's inspiring. The, the, yeah. The uh, relentless scowl of the Norwegian male or the Nordic yeah. male, you know, yeah. that's, that's an, that's an essay, you know, or something. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, sorry. Go ahead. Well, John. well I did, I did want to say also one more thing uh, with his scowl at the end when he's just driving. And he has this scowl on his face and and he just probably wants to go somewhere and sleep. Who the fuck knows what he's thinking? That closing shot, I don't know what the fuck they were trying to do, but it was amusing to me when like his eyes glowed and the credits started rolling. Oh yeah. What was going because... I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Well, it like I, I like I don't know if you guys ever watched Goosebumps growing up. Yeah. But <laughs> it made me think of there's like a couple of episodes and the dog's eyes in the opening credits. Yeah. Or like Maybe it was a nineties start glowing. <laughs> yeah, it must have been a nineties thing because yeah. I was like, "What the fuck is this? Like, what what is going on?" They were just figuring out like CGI or something, and they're like, "Why not? Why not?" You know, it was it was definitely an interesting choice to close out the movie. Yeah. Um, His inner demon, you know, externalizing. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay, I want to I want to transition into "Girl with a Dragon Tattoo" because this, uh, you know, we all watched this last night. Uh, together, we had a big party at Clandestinos. Uh, none of you listeners were invited. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a club. True, yeah. Uh, so yeah, we watched Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Um, David Fincher. You know, I remember, I remember this being a very highly anticipated movie. At least I do. Also, yeah, yeah. Like for me personally, but also I think think for just the you know people who are interested in movies because David Fincher was coming hot off of the uh god damn it what is the facebook movie's name oh social uh, network yeah yeah, social yeah. Network. yeah social right network. right yeah. right 
and which you know a lot of people made a case for that being one of the best movies of the past decade uh, a sentiment that i you know mostly agree with and you know obviously the the novels had been such a big sensation and there was a a swedish version with numi rapace and then of course this was the big remake it was i looked it up but not as big of a box office failure as it was made out to be it was a 90 million dollar budget and it made back 240 million. So I mean, not oh, hmm. you know, I didn't made, even made, realize it was supposed to be a box office failure. Yeah, that's uh, that's huh. kind of why they never kept the the series going. You oh. know, oh, was that with, was that worldwide or domestic? That was domestic. Um, Holy shoot, are you serious? Yeah. So that's not yeah yeah that's not much of a failure. I thought it was a flop. I thought I, they lost like a hundred million dollars on this movie. I know, right? That's what like. I don't know, film journalism would have you believe or whatever, but like, because mm-hmm. like, it was like, Oh, well this movie didn't make enough money to justify them, you know, continuing the series with Fincher and with Rooney Mara. But I mean, it, you know, it, it's, it, it made back, I mean, you know, almost three times its budget, but anyways, I, uh, so I rewatched it. I had not seen it since it came out in theaters. Um, I have many thoughts, but you guys go first. Lauren, had you ever seen this before? I had, yeah. I think I okay. saw it. I want to say I saw it not in theaters, but maybe like a year or so after it came out. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe on like on demand at my parents' house or something. Okay. And I remember liking it. Um, I was also that was like around when I discovered my love of like creepy, um, like Nordic crime stuff. So I was like into like Wallander. Um, mm. there are some other Nordic things that were coming out at the time. Also, like, a, just a lot of Nordic, because all the great, like, uh, police procedurals are Swedish and Norwegian. Right. And so, and they all, they all inevitably involve some kind of weird psychosexual element. And so, not, I did not actually ever read the Stieg Larsson's, because I heard they weren't very good. He's kind of, like, from what I hear, like, the bottom tier of Nordic, uh, mystery writers. Right. And that he's just not a very good writer. Um, but... I liked, I remember liking the movie and I watched it again last night and I, I liked it again. I didn't love it. I thought it was like a good, good for what it does. Um, it was stylish. I was not super impressed by Rudy Mara. Um, mm-hmm. I thought Christopher Plummer was so charming. I had forgotten he was in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Stelscar, you know, doing his thing, hamming it up. <laughs> Uh, I mean, practically Going all off. made for him. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was it was enjoyable. I mean, I don't know if enjoyable is the right word since there's like some really disturbing scenes, especially in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I liked it and it was it was good. Yeah. What about you, John? Because I know you had never you'd never seen this, which honestly kind of shocked me when you said that. Well, I'll tell you, I'm sure somebody's made this joke before, but I got like halfway through it and I was like, especially after the uh, rape scenes. And I was mm-hmm. like, this version of Knives Out is significantly different um, than, <laughs> than the other version. Uh, that's really all I was thinking because because it occurred to me. It, it, I mean, it, it really, it, I don't know why it took me 90 minutes into this movie to, to be like, wait a minute, this is Christopher Plummer hiring Daniel Craig? Like, this is Knives Out. But um, oh, Wait, was right. Christopher Plummer the old guy in Knives Out also? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was. He oh. was the guy that got murdered. How did yeah, I not make that connection? Oh. Yeah, like, I just thought it, I was just kind of, I was like, wow, that's weird. Okay. Um, so I never saw this because honestly, when it came out, I heard it wasn't that good. And I mean, I like Fincher, but like it was three, it was like almost three hours long. And I was like, I'll watch it at some point. And then I just never did. So um, for when, when it came up for this episode, I was kind of happy because it gave me a chance to, 
to watch it. And I really enjoyed it. I, um, I think it's a little long, but I think that's pretty much par for the course with Fincher. Yeah. You know, I, I would say he could have shaved off 20 minutes. Well, and especially movie. think of how much time I was thinking about this last night, how there must be at least half an hour. That's just Rooney Mara alternating between Rooney Mara and Daniel Craig, just like looking at their laptop or like zooming in on a photo or like zooming in on a document. Like that stuff just doesn't translate very well to screen, I think. And I think maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It was just well, funny. He's like, I, I think I he's a good director. He makes it suspenseful. But then you think about it and you're like, oh, she's just like looking at a newspaper article. Again I do again. feel like he did. He did spoon feed the audience a bit much. And like, I also feel like we, we kind of got some information that like wasn't really necessary to the story. And, and I think that really took in a lot of time, but I mean, it's Fincher. So I typically enjoy what he puts on the screen. And I thought Daniel Craig was great. I mean, everybody was great. Um, I kind of actually did like Rooney Mars character. I thought she was interesting, but I mean, I don't really know. There's no comparison. Like I'm not going to compare it to the original cause that wouldn't be fair. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I, I, I would honestly, Daniel Craig surprised me the most cause I've never really thought he was that good of an actor, but I mean, between this and Knives Out and Logan Lucky, I'm kind of rethinking that because he's he was actually he was really solid in this. He's a really solid leading man, I think. Yeah, yeah I, I think I'm definitely starting to change my opinion. I'm not yeah. much of a James Bond fan, but looking at what he does outside of that, I, I think he, uh, yeah, he's he's definitely better than I gave him credit for. Yeah, yeah you know, I I, I think I don't know, man. I was uh, you know, I I didn't like Mank, the most recent David Fincher movie, and I think David Fincher is much better served. Um, doing these kinds of movies as opposed to like some big epic personal project. Like he's much better served with being kind of like almost like a director for hire mm-hmm. and turning just kind of like basic pulp fiction into um, something else, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I very much like the stylization of this movie, but I, I, you know, I was thinking about what you said, Lauren, and you know, that's kind of interesting because Zodiac is another David Fincher movie, which gets a lot of acclaim. And I, I love Zodiac. I I think it's incredible. But I read this essay one time. I was going to look it up, but I I completely forgot to. This essay um, is collected in uh, Philip Lopate's uh, Anthology of American Film Criticism, if anybody ever wants to look it up. But it's about Zodiac, and it's about how Zodiac is one of the kind of strangest uh, serial killer or, or crime thriller movies that is focused on the process of doing the actual investigative work right Mm -hmm. like you said like looking through photographs and and looking through documents or whatever and that it like normally that is like the background in a movie Mm -hmm. and he foregrounds that yeah uh because he is a, a filmmaker who's not you know similar to christopher nolan he's not interested in people right david fincher is not a filmmaker who ever seems interested in character or people or you know, uh, the same way that, you know, I, I don't know, Jean Renoir or uh, just uh, a normal, you know, they're, he's more interested in creating these kind of spectacular uh, cinematic artifices. Mm-hmm. And part of that, I think, is him focusing on the kind of uh, non-human processes of like solving these crimes and then later on, uh, I think, committing these crimes, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's really interesting. I don't know. Lauren, have you ever seen Zodiac? I have. Yeah, I have. What's I, I know this is not 
as good as as good as Zodiac. But I'm curious to hear what you guys think. What is different about Zodiac compared to this? Not not like in like superficial plot elements, but like what makes Zodiac a better movie than this? Because I was kind of asking myself that question and I was having difficulty coming up with a lot of substantial things to say, you know, like I don't know why Zodiac is a better movie than this structurally. I don't know. What do you guys think? Unfortunately, I haven't seen it for about 10 years, so I could not tell you. What do you think, John? I mean, I I thought about Zodiac the entire time he was going through the motions of this investigative journalism and going through all the papers and and all the all the computer shots and all that shit because that's most of what zodiac is but for some reason it's more compelling in zodiac and i don't know why well i'll tell you i mean in my opinion like what what uh robert downey jr and and gyllenhaal give you that's what makes it more compelling to me because they were so great in that movie i'm not saying that daniel craig and, and rooney mara weren't a good you know team but i mean they don't even get together until we're halfway through the movie. And right. that's when things really start to heat up. Um, that's where I think the movie made the mistake is he gives us too much time in the beginning. So when they get together, then I think it kind of kicks into high gear. Right. I agree but with that. I did not need all the, yeah. Yeah. I didn't need the Rooney Mara backstory stuff. And I honestly don't think we needed that rape scene. Like it seemed maybe this is prudish of me, but I think it was kind of fucking gratuitous. <laughs> And uh, distasteful. You mean the one when she goes back to his apartment? Both. I just don't think we needed that whole saga. It also... Yeah. Well, I mean, I I agree with you because I... I, Jacob already knows this. I don't don't like that kind of stuff in movies. I think that typically, if you just allude to it, you get your point across. There's no reason to be so graphic with it. Yeah. Um, So the first one, I would say you kind of get a pass to make the story more compelling, but you didn't need those last two shots. There was no reason for the overhead shot and all of that. And the second one, you could have easily cut out probably three quarters of that and just kind of let us assume this guy is going to rape her. He really went over the top. And then he doubled down when she played the footage back when yeah. he's tied up. Yeah. And I was like, Jesus. It seems like, like a pornographic really- or something. It's like in a different movie. Um, yeah, I just, I didn't yeah. understand that either. Um, what do you think, Jacob? Cause I know we have differing uh, opinions on sex and movies. I mean, you know, it, it's, uh, there's a certain critical strain that I think is really, really annoying. You know, it's the, uh, game of Thrones has, you know, it, it needs to reckon, you know, we need to have a conversation about game of Thrones rape scenes or whatever. And I think that kind of like critical mode is really tiring. That being said, I think there are things we can like learn from that, like strain of like, uh, you know, Wonkette, uh style, you know, movie criticism or Buzzfeed style movie criticism. I think there are things and lessons we can like learn and take from it kind of like moving forward. And I think one of them is, is that, you know, these types of scenes are unnecessary at best and really kind of problematic as a word that gets overused, you know, ad nauseum, but Jesus, man. I mean, you know, these types of crime thriller movies, you know, why is it fun to see violence in movies? Because it's at a like remove right from it's at a complete remove from your everyday life. And it gives you an opportunity to experience those things. But like throwing a rape scene in there is like. Especially one so like graphic and so like you're right, Lauren, it feels pornographic. It's like, dude, I'm sorry, but if you were 
if you're like if part of your rape scene is like Rooney Mara's like beautiful ass like sticking up in the air it seems fetishistic yeah exactly exactly right and like and like fetishism is like literally one of the best things in movies right I literally think that like if you've got a guy Tarantino being obsessed with feet or you know David Fincher being obsessed with you know Hitchcock being obsessed with his blondes or whatever like literally I think it's one of the best parts of movies because you get to see into the filmmaker's psyche in a way that they probably wouldn't even articulate if they were being asked directly. And when that includes this like graphic rape scene in the middle, it's, it's hard not to come away with being like, you wanted people to see this. What? Like, you know, you, you like, like John said, like you can get your point across with a couple of suggestive like shots, you know, like we are left to, to, we are left as the audience to like, pull together the strands of this mystery like on our own i think we could put together two and two of like you know by by the closing of a door or something if you want to yeah. include that as a plot element but like i mean i don't know i said it and i'll say it again like I'm, I'm sorry but we like rooney mara is like unattractive movies you know steven soderbergh has this like great quote where he says any any nudity of a person whose name that you know in real life that movie becomes a documentary <laughs> like and i think it's a great quote because it's like yeah like if if it's like a random scene in a strip club in the sopranos you don't think twice about it you're no. like well, they're in a strip club there's naked women but if it's an actual celebrity you're like oh oh that i i just saw olivia munn topless yeah that's, okay that's crazy and like i'm sorry but it's true like you have rooney mara's ass sticking up in the air in this scene that you're supposed to be horrified by exactly like, yeah there were some mixed signals there yeah. Yeah. No, it was. It's, yeah. And it was also, I wonder what part like the original text plays in this because just something is telling me about this. I don't know why, but I think Stieg Larson is like probably a huge pervert. Like just like the way, just like the way he has this whole saga is like very, there's just something going on um, in how he sets that up. I don't know if it's a source material or not, but like the whole ward of the state thing makes no fucking sense. Like, I don't know how things are in Sweden, but still like why on earth does she need to be a ward of the state when she's 23? Like that's just a setup for some kind of pornographic like outlet. I don't, it's like, see, it doesn't make sense. I actually think though, I mean, don't get me wrong. Stieg Larsson, maybe, you know, maybe he gets off on this. I, I genuinely don't know. He's dead um, now. Or, you know, actually, yeah. yeah he, he's, he, he died before the first book yeah. was even released. So who the fuck knows? But um, the Swedish title originally translates to men who hate women. So I think I, to, to my mind, Stieg Larsson, and there was a lot of discourse around 2011, around the time this movie came out as like, um, I don't know, kind of a shit lib for lack of a better word, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like a, a woke male feminist mm-hmm. who's just like, you know, trying to, um, you know, do like a girl power or do like a, well, yeah, but it's, it's often the woke male fem- feminists who are the biggest perverts. So no, no, that's what I'm yeah. saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, yeah, like it's it, like it, to me, it has that energy. Yeah. It, you know, it has that energy of like, I'm going to show you what women go through. And it's like, yeah. are you enjoying this a little bit? Yeah. He's enjoying like, it. I do. Yeah. It's, yeah. um, yeah, but we haven't even talked about Skarsgård. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, I think the one problem with foregrounding all of this rape in the beginning is that it makes the sexual perversity uh, that's revealed later less shocking. <laughs> um, yeah. And well, yeah, that, I mean, that's actually you've, one you've of my big. Seen... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, John. 
Well, I was going to say, you've already seen, like, this is the worst thing he can show you on screen yeah. in this movie. Yeah. yeah. In this MPAA rated R movie, he has shown you the worst fucking thing he can show you. So when we get to that revelation, I'm just like, okay. Like, like yeah, I, we know. <laughs> yeah, like, I get it. Like, I guess there's oh. incest also, but, like, it's, yeah, all of the, the boundaries have been transgressed. And it's... um. I also just don't think this character is that interesting. Like maybe I'm just kind of bored with the kind of, again, I think this is very much, it shows, this is very much like a male style of writing women, of writing women as like yes. these like autistic, um, brilliant kind of two dimensional, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. like sex machines. Uh, and so, yeah, I was unimpressed with that. I just don't think the girl with the dragon tattoo is that interesting of a character. Like, okay, she's a hacker. She's comes from a fucked up background. Like, fine. Um, she has a lot of tattoos. Like, who, who the fuck cares? Like, what is interesting about that? Who maybe it's just because everyone I know has a shit ton of tattoos, but it's not like there's nothing remarkable about that. She shaves off her yeah, eyebrows. I admit have- that is odd. Um, I don't know. There's something well, like, like edge lordy about it. Yeah. Like, about the character that is just like, and like, not that the character is like, you know, judging the fictional character, but like, you're kind of judging David Fincher slash Stieg Larsson for being impressed or shocked mm-hmm. by someone who looks like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's just aesthetic. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's even the throwaway line from the piece of shit that rapes her. And he's like, Oh, you think, you think that thing in your eye looks good? Like, what the fuck are you talking? This isn't 1960, yeah. man. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> she has piercings and tattoos. So does like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, so like I don't Sweden. fucking understand it. Like, aren't these like, aren't these like all these? From what I understand, aren't all the Swedish kids like into death metal and like killing themselves and yeah. shit? Like, well, I mean, probably not that. All of them, but yeah, some of them. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, it feels like something that would be more normalized, and y- you know, I, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, what, like, when we get down to it, what is so transgressive about the girl with the dragon tattoo? Is it that she's a hacker? Like, is it that she lives? Like, to me, it's that she lives outside the formal economy. Uh, she doesn't. She seems like she's she's a freelancer, right? As far as we know, she yeah. does like a hacking freelance. Um, and again, which I don't understand why, if she's such a good hacker, she needs this Swedish state money. It makes no sense to me. Uh, but I guess, like, I guess she's a little awkward. Fine. Like, <laughs> it's just, I don't know. Maybe it hasn't uh, aged you know, well. Uh, well, I, I think, um, you know, I, I think, um, in the books, this is a little bit more fleshed out. I haven't read the books, but I just like, you know, I, I did my game of Thrones thing yeah. where I just like kind of read some of the synopsis and you know, whatever. And from what I understand, the character in the book is, is, is a little bit different in the sense that you're afraid that she's like a killer, you know, like she has more yeah. of an anti-hero vibe, yeah. uh, where it's like, um, you know, there's rumors that she's killed people. And mm-hmm. it's like, if you throw that into a movie, I can completely understand like that, not passing the muster of the American film industry, yeah. especially for a, you know, a hundred million dollar movie, you know, you, you can't make your protagonist, you know, like a, a, maybe a killer or not, who knows. So I think, I think maybe it's a little bit more nuanced um, in the novels, but it's still in the movie. It comes across as, like you said, pure aesthetic. It's yeah. like, what am I supposed to be shocked by here? Like, 
he rides a motorcycle but these are like all aesthetic choices um (laughs) yeah it's a motorcycle yeah oh man i do really i I did really like the line which i'm a sucker for this line in any movie for the most part um when when stellan sarsgaard like gets up and walks out after she knocked the shit out of him with that golf club and his jaw is like fucking broken. He stumbles out of the room and she picks up the gun after he, after Craig tells her where it's at. And she's like, can I kill him? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And he's like, yeah. Him? And it's like, yeah. Yeah. Like that was just such a good fucking, like, I just, I like that and anything, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. But then you, you get this fucked up revelation and all this shit and like Skarsgård doing such a great job of being this lecherous, creepy, like weird motherfucker and just a sick dude. And then like, he just dies in a car accident. I mean, no. I know that's probably like based on the original or whatever, but it's like, fuck like this. This gives me no relief, really. It's very yeah, Hollywoody some... that she doesn't actually end up killing anyone. But yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. It's like, let her kill someone. Man. Like, <laughs> yeah. you, have, you, you have all these badass aesthetics yeah. and all these like whispers and shadows. Let her fucking shoot this guy in the head. Like, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's. You know, I I, I want to point out what I think is the main failure of this movie, because like, John, I agree with you. Like, why isn't this Zodiac? And it, it's not Zodiac because, you know, the characters of Rooney Mara and um, I don't know, whoever Daniel Craig's um, character is, uh, they're, they're not as, you, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal is almost doing like a proto Nightcrawler performance in Zodiac. Like, he's so obsessed with the Zodiac killer, you know, and Robert Daddy Jr. is obviously doing his whole uh, swagger thing that he always does. And, you know, they don't have the charm in in this movie that those two characters and those two actors do. But I, I do want to point out what I think is the main failure of this movie. And maybe it's a failure of the original source material. I don't know. But, you know, up until the end and you find out that this is still in Skarsgård is the villain and he's a great villain. And his dad, obviously, and whatever, whatever. Up until you find out what happens, he creates this environment where, you know, Norway, or not Norway, Sweden is, uh, same thing, uh, is supposed to be like this, like, progressive culture or whatever. And really, there's an underground, you know, uh, current of Nazis and you know, the company that's, that sells you the company with the female CEO that sells you your, you know, your, your, uh, hybrid car used to provide tanks for the Nazis and stuff like that. You know, there's this like undercurrent of like old European evil dating back to, you know, fascism and the Nazis and stuff. And part of this undercurrent isn't just kind of the flashy signs of, of, uh, the flashy, you know, World War II, uh, you know, fascism and Nazism, but it's also the, you know, ritualistic sexual abuse of women and young girls. You know, it's Epstein, essentially. It's I know, I was thinking Epstein. about Epstein. <laughs> I mean, yeah. this movie hits different in yeah. a post-Epstein world. I, yeah. I really think it does, because at the time it was like, oh, this is kind of like a feminist, you know, a male feminist power fantasy, you yeah. know, similar to like Django Unchained, you yeah. know, Tarantino. Uh, you know, doing his his big favor to black people, you know. Um, but then, like, in a post-Epstein world, it's like, oh, no, this is real. 
that's 100% real. Like, you know, like the, the Americans like worked with Nazis, you know, to like during the Cold War and shit and CIA and like all this, you know, in like a post Epstein world, this shit hits different. But I think Fincher takes all the air out of that. By just having it be the fault of one guy or maybe two guys, you know? Oh, hmm. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like this was a real opportunity to be like, no, there's an underground network for <laughs> ritual, like, abuse of children and specifically, like, women, yeah. girls, and... And then it's just like, oh no, it's just still in Skarsgård being crazy. I would, ex- I and was expecting just... a little more of a conspiracy. I guess, yeah, right. Because Christopher like, Plummer think... is such a mensch, and it seems like, yeah, and he, the company buys out Daniel Craig's magazine, which is nice. Hmm. Yeah, like everybody, everybody, yeah. everybody's nice, and there's just a couple of bad eggs. You know, there's the Nazi who lives on the hill, and then there's the ritualistic pedophile, and then yeah. okay, everything else is fine. And it's like, it's not fine, brother. Like. <laughs> I do like how they all live on, they are all still living on their island 40 years later. I love that scene um, where it's like snowing. It's a blizzard. And that was actually my favorite scene for some reason. Daniel Craig and um, Christopher Plummer are out in the blizzard and he's pointing out, well, there's my cousin, you know, Lutefisk and there's his grandfather and no one is talking to each other. And that was just, I don't know why that was just so funny to me. Um, This family that hates each other living on an island together. In their various yeah, it's just like this. Houses. It's just like this decaying yeah. aristocracy. Yeah, I know? love that vibe. You know, it also and, it got uh, me, gave me. Um, you guys know Patrick Melrose, uh, by Edward St. Alban. That's also that's about English aristocracy, and that's also about getting mm. raped by your father. Um, I think it's it must be some kind of aristocracy slash rich person thing. It's like I don't know when you have everything, you just have to do incest or whatever. It's um, right, sure. you just become so perverse, and uh, but yeah, I was getting some Patrick Melrose vibes, definitely some Epstein vibes. Um, I did love his house; that was mm-hmm. beautiful. Stellan Skarsgård's house, exquisite. Um, the murder basement, not so much. And what was going on? Was he just? Does he just have like a gas chamber in his basement? Like what? Like was it just the aesthetic of the gas chamber he likes? Because couldn't he just have easily have put chloroform over Daniel Craig or or something like that? I don't I don't I think the whole gas chamber is is you know excessive in my opinion. Also, there's no way it's cost effective because that was a lot of it's gas. It's a lot of gas. Person. He has to wear a gas mask yeah. himself. It just doesn't seem like the most convenient way to knock someone out. I think he but just I loves the say, aesthetic. I, I love the murder basement. I thought it was awesome. If it hadn't been for the fact that he was such a piece of shit, I mean, that's a cool, like you could hang out down there. You, you think could so? murder in there, but like, just be, just be an equality murderer. Like, don't be like this misogynistic fucking maniac. Just kill everybody. Don't just torture and kill women. If you kill everybody, it makes the murder basement a much more pleasant place to hang out. Hmm, okay. I, I love how I love how there's like a couch in there. Like he does have a couch. You know, yeah. There's, yeah. there's just like a beautiful leather couch yeah. that you just like chill out and like yeah. no, no no I want to I want to watch my my prey die in comfort. <laughs> you know, I'm um, surprised there wasn't a TV down there. I know I was. Well, I mean, yeah, it would be a good place to. You got live theater. Why yeah. do you need TV? Yeah. You know, um, well, I might get boring. <laughs> um but no see that's i don't know not not to hit too not, not to hit too to you know hit too uh too hard on that one that one theme but i think that's like even the gas chamber and stuff like there's there's like holocaust vibes here right like it's yeah I think it, so. it, it, it made me think it made me think of like showa where like 
they're like interviewing an SS guy and they're showing like modern day footage of Berlin mm-hmm. and like the industrial uh, section of Berlin. And it's like, the implication is that like this kind of industrial machinery is, is used for the, the most nefarious of purposes. You know, somebody sold, you know, Nazi Germany, the Zyklon gas, you know, yeah. um, they didn't have, they couldn't make that shit on their own, you know? It is and, true. So it's like, I don't know. I, I feel like you just like teased that, like, you know, that implication that the, like all this is like linked together. There's like Nazis and rapists and Epstein and whatever. And then it's just like, no, nah, it's just one weird guy, man. Just one weird guy. And everybody else is really cool. It's like, I don't know, man. In a, in a real ass movie, in a real ass motherfucking like hard dick movie, Christopher Plummer would have absolutely been part of it. He would have right? also been I a mean, pedophile. Yeah. Yeah, it was I a mean, little. It was a little Hollywood. How also doesn't Christopher Plummer go to the hospital and you think assume he's going to die, but then he just shows up in a wheelchair and he's totally fine. Yeah, yeah. everything ends up fine. Like yeah. the, the the company ends up like the only thing. The only victim is like Elizabeth Slander is uh, mad at the end or is sad at the end. Because, yeah, you know D- Daniel Craig goes back to his mistress. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, what are you doing, pal? Which I, I'm sorry, you, they didn't even like then make me invest that much into that thing anyway. So it's like, I don't care that he went back to her. Like what? Like, yeah, you guys like slept together. You had some like pleasant exchanges and you were like, Oh, I like working with you. And it's like, you didn't make me invest into their relationship. So why do I give a shit? I don't know. See, I kind of was invested a little bit. Uh, Maybe it's the softy in me, but like, I was like, like I felt happy that, that she had a friend, I guess, you know, I was like, I was yeah, like, I mean, oh, I think good. it just like, depends she, on how much you care about, about the girl with the dragon tattoo character. And I personally, for some reason, just resent that type of character um, because I think yeah. it's kind of an, it's just, it doesn't, she doesn't ring true to me as a woman or a person. I mean, uh, she just seems like a male fantasy. Uh, and so I wasn't really that, I don't know. I mean, I guess they had pretty good chemistry, but um, I can't say I was too well, broken at the end. I wouldn't have been friends with her. She has facial piercings and tattoos. So, yeah. Haram, yeah. No thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Lauren, anything else to add on your your, your man, uh, Stellan Skarsgård? We're going to clear out the lane and let you uh, deliver one final oh, to him. Uh, three words. Viking pissed face. He's the pioneer. Okay. Yeah. He's a, a trailblazer. Yep. And everyone uh, who wants to look pissed should study from him. One of the best character actors, I think, of our time, really. Uh, I, I should say American character actors, because I'm sure he's a star over there in Sweden. Oh, and what was going on with the accents in this movie? It was driving me crazy. Because Rooney Mara was like had this fake Swedish accent, but then Stellan Skarsgård, who is Swedish, had like an American accent. And I don't know what's going on with Christopher Plummer. Like, it was, it was really... I don't know. But. The, the accent work, I mean, yeah. it, it's just always bad yeah. in every movie I've ever seen in the yeah. history of movies. Yeah. Like... Like, uh, yeah, everybody's bad in this. Uh, and yeah, for some reason, Stellan's the one Swedish person that doesn't <laughs> have an accent. Yeah. Um, but like uh, Daniel Craig, dude, don't even get me started on that motherfucker and accents. I mean, <laughs> I want him to have the knives out accent in every movie he makes for the rest of his career. <laughs> like he just, he sounds like Foghorn Leghorn. Like he literally sounds like a cartoon. Uh, yeah. It's perfect. I know. Um, don't even hey, get me so, knives out that Ryan Johnson it's on site with that motherfucker um, oh, whatever you said you liked it listen it was fine I I have a recommendation 
to not just our listeners, but to you, Lauren, mm-hmm. since you are a fan of the one and only Stellan Skarsgård, okay. who we had spent an hour talking about. Okay. This movie is on Amazon Prime. Okay. It is called In Order of Disappearance. Okay. They remade it with Liam Neeson called Cold Pursuit. And it's not bad. That's an American remake. I don't encourage anyone to watch it, but it's pretty bland, mm-hmm. so it's harmless. But Stellan Skarsgård plays a guy. This is, I mean, it's not giving anything away. He's a pl- he's a snowplow driver. Oh, come on. Who goes on a killing spree after these people in a gang kill his son. Mm. It is fucking fantastic. He is just, he's insane. There are some really creative kills. It's basically like Sweden's version version of like a Coen Brothers movie or like nice. maybe mixed with Tarantino, but it's on Amazon Prime. I actually rewatched great. it um, yeah. just because of this episode. I was just yeah. like, I'm in a Stellan Skarsgård mood now, so I'm doing it. What's it called um, again? All right. In Order of Disappearance. It came out in 2014, and he is just so fucking good. It might be my favorite performance from him. Okay, okay. So. I do, I do like Stellan Skarsgård as a snowplow driver. I feel like that was inevitable. Yeah, it's it really yeah. suits him. Everything about yeah. this movie, like I legitimately think that, like if we didn't know Stellan Skarsgård as the actor, then he could literally do this as a job and secretly be killing people, and I wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised. So, yeah. you think he could make that career transition to a snowplow driver? I think it would be awesome if he did. <laughs> Went back to school to get his MA in, <laughs> in snowplowing. <laughs> and then yeah. someone like make a reality show about it. I'd watch yeah. it. So all right. All right. So yeah, Lauren, what uh anything else to plug other than uh than oh, your amazing man. podcast, Our Struggle? Yes, my podcast is called Our Struggle. Um I would plug our t shirts, but I don't think we really have any left. Mm. I think well I let me look. I have like if you're a larger on the larger side, we have a bunch of two XLs left. So we have two XLs in gray and lilac. We have about three each. Uh, but other than that, you might be out of luck. But check our website. I am designing some new merch right now that will maybe drop, you know, in a little while. It has to go through the design process. But uh, look out for that. And look out for my novel in 2035. <laughs> I thought you were going to say 20 years. Um, <laughs> uh, a noir novel does sound badass, though. So that, yeah, that we're going to have to have you yeah. back for a noir episode. We are we're big noir heads. Absolutely, here. yeah, um, yeah, for sure. When uh, my book comes out, <laughs> and, and that 2XL, you know, that might be a little snug for most of our listeners, um, <laughs> but uh, we'll we'll still support you nonetheless. Uh, All, oh, our struggle dot store, our struggle dot okay. store. Yeah. We started talking about Winnie the Pooh and we're ending on 2XL shirts. So I think we've gone yeah. full circle. Yeah. Oh, and one last recommendation for you, Lauren, along the same lines of the movie recommendation. You know, I think you, maybe you should have somebody who maybe was kind of like an insider at the Columbia MFA program. Um, <laughs> That's all know, right. To kind of just uh, give you real the inside story on like MFA land and what's going on there. Um, okay. You know, just I don't know if you know anybody like that. Just an idea, just something I've been throwing out there for our so. podcast. All right, you know, I'll toss it around with Drew. We'll see. We'll, yeah, uh, I mean, candidates. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if you know anybody, but just yeah, just just yeah, uh, yeah just keep an eye out for that. Okay. But seriously, though, Lauren, thank you so much. Uh, we've yeah, taken thank you so much, much for having me. This is really fun. Yeah, this and is great. Uh, we'll, shout out to Stellan Skarsgård and all of the Skarsgårds. Shout out to uh, Viking. Yeah. Mean, what did you call him? Viking mean face or Viking Viking pissed face. Viking pissed yeah. face. Right, right, yeah. right. I'll be on the lookout for that. Um, be on the lookout for that. All yeah. right. Thanks again, Lauren. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Lauren.
See you guys.